It's been a long time coming for us to talk about Jean Eustache. Yes, event, events in Gaza have rather events have overtaken. delayed. <laughs> Other films have somewhat been retarded our progress. <laughs> yeah. Other films have been on people's minds, um, but uh, and I think the the kind of origin story of this, or the origin story for us, was seeing um, Eustache's and we'll intro Eustache in a second. But Eustache's kind of main. Um, uh, sort of, you know, most 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 notorious in a lot of ways film, The Mother and the Whore. We saw it at the BFI. Yeah. What must be going on, what, three months ago now? Yeah. Um, a new restoration of this fantastic uh, film, which premiered at the 2022 Cannes Film Festival, yeah. I believe. So we got it sort of on a year time delay, and we saw it at the BFI, which we thought was the right place, and I think I'd been meaning to see it anyway, but I, I kind of... But also like a 52-year time delay, because yeah, it was made in 71? 73. 73. Okay, well, well, well 50 years. 50 years. Yeah, I think that was, it was timed for the 50 years, I think. So, uh, and they, watching The Mother and Whore kind of triggered something for, for myself and Ralph, and we, we then began to dig beneath the surface a little bit of Eustache, yeah. and we thought this guy's interesting. Obviously, he's joining Eustache himself. Um, the... We'll we'll get into all of this, I think, but you know, died in uh, sort of prematurely, as they say, you know, nineteen in nineteen eighty one. He took his own life um, after a, after a sort of catastrophic um, automobile accident, which happened all the time back then. Um, if anyone's seen Godard's Weekend, you'll know how the French drive, um, <laughs> uh, and uh, it's somewhat tragically, and it's it's off, I've read around it a little bit. And it seems a bit ambiguous. I don't know if it was necessarily the accident itself or just other shit going on in his life um a, a strange parallel to jean daniel Paulet, who suffered a um uh, a train accident um in 1989 or 88 but it di- didn't obviously kill himself but you know there's a strange parallelism between both Paulet, like kanye kind of through <laughs> the, through, <laughs> made it through, through the wire, the wire. <laughs> <laughs> um but both Paulet and eustache maybe are kind of these slightly extraneous figures on the edges or the fringes of the new wave and the post new wave i think that's kind of where their interest lies um you know, they 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 have a kind of wider orbit, like Haley's Comet, in a lot of ways. And obviously, what characterizes and actually, what I'll do is I'm going to read, um, uh, not a bedtime story, but I'm going to read a, a little quote uh, by Serge Danet. Obviously, Serge Danet is like a, a, a you know, a, a cahier du cinéma docent, um, and I think he had this to say about uh, Jean Eustache. Um, so he said. Um, we can we can pick this apart, but he said, in the thread of the desolate 70s, his films succeeded one another, always unforeseen, without a system, without a gap. You can debate that, I'm sure. Uh, film rivers, short films, TV programs, hyper-real fiction. Each film went to the end of its material, from real to fictional sorrow. It was impossible for him to go against it, to calculate, to take cultural success into account, impossible for this theoretician of seduction to seduce an audience. And I think what he's getting at there really is that Eustache, um, you know, didn't have his drum beaters, uh, maybe didn't have a consistent expected flow of income to make films, had to make the films that came to him. Yeah, it seems like Um, one of the few French filmmakers... Who, mm. of that era who seemed to be struggling to make films at mm. least anecdotally you you don't you you hear a lot about his 
it's true highs but, but mm. you don't tend to hear much about like Godard and, and Truffaut and Chabrol and Chabrol they all managed to just they ramp, were pumping them out rattle on because you, you know the French like film system you know was was very prodigious and, and had there was a lot of money available to people to make films and a lot yeah. of patrons of the arts and I think um, Eustache uh, I think again this is something we can explore doesn't really or doesn't obviously have a there's not like necessarily an obvious Eustachian style in a way mm. that you get you know you know what a Godard or a Chabrol or a Romare film is kind of going to look like or the ways it's going to surprise you you can kind of anticipate those things where you look at the deep bench of Jean Eustache's films from you know this 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 very discursive um rolling flowing film of mother and whore to sort of tv documentaries that on the face of it are quite conventional the the brasserie of pesach um you know he was quite mercurial in that sense i mean what's your what's your sort of prehistory with um eustache and maybe maybe do you think we should talk about the mother and the whore first yes i think we'll we'll go into depth i'll I'll just uh i'll just make a few general comments and Mm. then we'll dive in on the mother and the whore um, I was somewhat apprehensive about speaking about Ustash because it's very hard to make a coherent statement about his work. Mm. As you say, he worked between different forms. I think he was someone who maybe just didn't quite settle into a form or was just ever curious about uh different devices and strategies mm. and so then you wonder what the sort of theme undergirding it was i mean there is i know what it is maybe okay. but you i'm go, gonna, you talk I'm gonna give it a shot yeah. so so between like the rosary of pesach which is like this deep documentary from his hometown that he does twice uh sort of decade apart or something yes i think like 69 68 is 68 interestingly and then 79 and 79 um, which is about a bizarre and hilariously patriarchal uh, sort of village fates activity where um, <laughs> so true. a bunch of Frenchmen sort of <laughs> choose a young woman to be the the virgin of the town. Mm. The most the most kind of honourable, the most, most noble, honorable, the most beautiful. It's not necessarily implied the most beautiful, but as the mayor in the film says, he's like, oh, well, it's nice that uh, she also happens to be a very uh, beautiful um, yeah, it's the yeah. sort of thing that like feels incredibly normal for France, at least in that <laughs> era. But yeah. you would show it to someone now, and they would just—they they wouldn't know. Yeah, I assume this festival some people, probably some exists people, in a different format, or it's France. It might still be going on. It's yeah, probably sponsored by by Renault or something now. Yeah, but uh, so there's that. There's also, I guess, what that shares in common with um, a dirty story, a sale histoire, mm. um, which is this film with Michael Lonsdale, which is. Sh- told twice it's yeah. a man telling a story about how much fun he had um spying on the women's toilets through a crack in the wall yeah. became a pervert the becoming of a pervert, the becoming of a pervert and yeah. he sort of enjoys the telling of the story mm. and the people listening some of whom are women enjoy hearing it yeah. and the story is told uh, with more or less identical scripts with completely different casts um twice the second time by the man allegedly who actually happened to so it's implied that Michael Lonsdale was one of the unseen listeners in this room oh really that's okay, it, okay, I that it didn't blurred. quite clock that it, it's, not, it's not obvious in the kind of surface of the film but I believe it's you first see Michael Lonsdale who's recounting the recounting of this story as if it happened to himself and the second time you're seeing allegedly the man who was the pervert 
Um, so the first time round, we're uh, in the was lost on me. Yeah, I think I think this was just how I, the reading I, I read around it. You know how these things sometimes these things can be wildly wrong just because one person says it. It kind of um, becomes fact. Uh, so that could be wrong, but we can talk about that more in a bit. But anyway, there's a sort of formal device of a doubling. Yeah, yeah. a like like weird creepy like french like like not weird i don't want to put a value judgment on it but like there's mm. this there's well, this very sex, sort of sex it's basically yeah, this, the how we desire and how we look there's like. this reflection on desire uh on the masculine desire through, the desire through the unashamed male gaze um which in mother and the whore happens through a kind of um a long-winded and very beautiful romeresque uh, love triangle story oh. that it, that also kind of is infused with the um, the ver- the sort of exhaustion of the sexual revolution. Yeah, yeah, that's really um, important. Pin in that exactly. So that's um, what we'll say when we say <laughs> stuff about Mother and the Whore. Uh, then he goes on to make this film, My Little Loves, which is his last film, which I think was the film he always wanted to make, but kind of Mother and the Whore allowed it, in him a lot to. of ways. It's his most sort of cinematically within the French tradition, anyway conventional film it's yeah. not a conventional film but and it, it's a my childhood film yeah it's 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 yeah it's a buildings roman and it is shot in in color which is yeah. unusual for him and it's shot in quite gracious painterly kind of impressionistic tones um it's it it, it feels more akin to a perhaps uh, a chabrol or a certain Truffaut or Rivette or maybe even Romer in certain instances it's it's sort of I, a film PLR was the main reference PLR yeah actually PLR definitely but uh, it has it its own it. it has its own weirdnesses and I think again I keep saying this we can talk about it but it has its own interesting um, formal uh, sort of explorations and unpickings of what it means to look and to desire and sure. to become an amorous subject I mm-hmm. think that's part of that part and parcel in that in this kind of like betise the eye you know mm-hmm. the act of looking is 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 you know the main site of sexual arousal and desire but then he also does he's also <coughs> fixated with this storytelling he does this film numero zero which mm-hmm. was based on a which was like a, the long version of a tv documentary called odette robert which mm-hmm. is just the name of his nan he just interviews his his grandmother for an hour for uh, two hours Charged. but it's an hour in the tv version um which is uh, quite tender and and um it's like can be a bit boring but yeah. sort of sweet read like old woman telling fascinating stories yeah um which is sensitively done but like you sort of it's like you wonder like what's what's this guy getting at you know mm. and there's also so the, between uh, that and the the dirty story you've also missed the two his 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 actual kind of like films that coincided with the new wave um, Robinson's Room Mr Robinson's Room and Santa Claus with the Blue Eyes there's a very good reason why I missed it those uh, have you said have you was that an intentional uh, elision. I just haven't seen them. So you I haven't seen I them. Okay. So I didn't mention it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can talk to you. <laughs> we can talk. So these these two early films uh, were both short, you know, featurettes, as it were. They were both about forty-seven minutes long, forty-eight minutes long. Um, they play in the terrain of the the familiar terrain of what we think a, a new wave film is in terms of content, mm-hmm. which is young or youngish people knocking around Paris, trying to fuck, mm-hmm. trying to get a few coins together going to the arcade to play on the flippers, um, mm-hmm. ordering coffee, or smoking cigarettes, drinking beer, arguing a little bit existentially or just about the next paycheck. Um, 
you know, these are the sort of like the Ur image we have of this kind of um, anomic uh, flaneur youth kind yeah. of rolling around Paris. And so these these are his first, you know, sort of first couple of films. Um, and, and they are interesting in their own ways because they they distend and disrupt certain ideas we have about what this youth is. And I think one of his big, the big red thread with um, Eustache, the two things maybe, I mean, beyond desire, desire is obvious with his films, mm -hmm. but I think youth is one of them. Yeah. I think he was completely, completely obsessed with youth and what the idea of youth um, in the context of the sexual revolution and, and May 68 uh, and the reverberations beyond that. Um, but also in sense of mourning, I think all of his films are completely saturated with the sense of ghosts and mourning. And I think one of the things I'll say is what, what, what we associate with the new wave, if we think about Boutou Soufflé, if we think about Godard, if we think about Truffaut, what these directors were doing was adapting, was taking the tools of Hollywood um, and inserting them into the lives of their milieu. Um, yeah. You know, and they were, it was satirical, satonically done that you could have a crime caper that was about just some guys in Paris. Mm. Right? Or yeah, yeah. you could have a... Band apart. Yeah, band apart or whatever. So all Breathless, which is kind of like a, a tragedy with no cause, right? Mm. Like it's a complete tragic conclusion for Belmondo that never needed to happen. You know, they're kind yeah. of these satirical takes, as it were, on the Hollywood the things that make Hollywood films interesting, you know, these melodramas and crime capers and so on. Yeah. But I think with uh, Eustache, Eustache, the thing is, yeah, Godard's characters and Trevor's characters, I think it's they're desirable, sexy subjects. They're kind of, they've got a lot of riz. Um, they're very compelling. Uh, they have star status. And, you know, a lot of these actors would become stars. The difference mm -hmm. with Eustache is his characters are just losers. You know, well, they, you got Jean Pelleau, he's a star. He's a star, but differently, I think. And he's, you know, they, they, they don't have charisma and they don't have charisma. Oh, they don't does. have cool. So they Jean Pelleau is so cool. Yeah, but maybe Mother and Hall, but not in his early films. Like uh, in no, the, the Santa one. There's right. a real sense of like, it's real. Like I uh, can't imagine Jean Pelleau not having I mean, some charm to him. I mean, now uh, obviously he's just Leard, a big, he's yeah. a big kind of burger but he's <laughs> a big flabby monster <laughs> like no no i'm not, I'm not it's saying it's he's not like design he's still a film you know really power energetic magnetic film actor but the kind of characters in their lives in these films you know they really yeah. are the kind of dregs of society they really are they're not rubbing a few dollars together they're rubbing a few cents together mm. um where they are wandering and obscure they're really wandering and obscure you know um and i think there's a sense which in in these first two films in these very early films um uh, Leod is completely sexually unsuccessful. He hangs around at this cafe. He wants to hang out at the nicer cafe. So the, the concept with the Father Christmas film is he's trying to save up enough money to buy a duffel coat because these duffel coats mm. have come in style in this year. Um, really disgustingly ugly coat when he's wearing <laughs> an already really he's beautiful like dress coat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, so he ends up taking a job and it's for him, it's, he's not intellectualizing his refusal to get a job or his resistance to get a job. He just doesn't want to. Mm. Um, and he decides to get a job and uh, as a Father Christmas in sort of early December, I suppose, kind of taking photos with kids and women in the street, whatever, um, just to make enough money to get this coat that he wants. And it's extraordinary because his desire for the coat isn't believable. There's no romanticizing of the coat, of this jacket. Um, there's no sense of, it's just very, 
yeah, it just ta- it's tatters and it falls apart, and their lives are there's there's nothing romantic about their mm. their anomie. There's nothing poser-ish about it. They're just like layabouts, and they hang around this horrible cafe. Um, and the object of their desire, which him is a coat, is to go to this nice cafe, which is nicer than the cafe he normally goes to. Is it uh, almost like a comment on sort of vacuous consumerism? It might or? be. Yeah, it did occur to me. It probably is that you know, um, and also to to maybe get a girl yeah. um right but he's this translates into mother and the whore a man goes to a cafe repeatedly mm. to try and find a particular kind a of girl that sort of yeah piques his interest in a particular kind of way that mm. he never quite manages to articulate yeah and then when he does kind of get her he kind of fumbles the bag which is a big thing mm. about this you know he kind of might get talking to a woman and he's like i don't know didn't know what to say so the character will just be silent with these women who are interested in him temporarily for a moment but this all feels um, borrowed from like a lot of the early Godard films with yeah. Jean Pelé. Like, I feel like Jean Pelé transfer, or in the truth of Antoine L later films, like, there's this, like, he just has this, like, comical... He keeps saying Jean Pelé. Jean Pelé. Jean Pelé. You mean Lyard? Are we talking about Eustache or... I'm talking about Jean Pelé. The actor. What Isn't it Lyard? Or Lyard? Leo. Leo. Okay. I always thought it was, like, a more of a hard D, like... Maybe, Weird. maybe. Oh, whatever. I don't care. I don't know. <laughs> um, first of all? No, I mean, uh, it's... Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I, I remember going on Google, actually, and trying to find out how you say it. Le. It's, kind of, it's, yeah, it's one of those really slurry French names, isn't it? Like, Le. Hold on, we're going to have to settle this, aren't we? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think the way that... Anyway, whatever. I, I, I think that he's kind of like a travelling, like... You know, a bit like even how he is in that Skolomovsky film, you know. A bit of a sad sack. Well, yeah, but he's sort of charming and lo- and like lovable and uh, yeah. Well, yeah, he's actually, if anything, he's got this kind of Charlie Chaplin Chaplin esque kind of like he's a sort of hilarious, sort of slightly blank well, Harold Lloyd kind of thing. Yeah, hapless, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. Um, and I think that sort of it's like that plus a bit of a Romeric kind of noodling uh, dialogue about you know how you you know. <laughs> Uh, um, oh, hold on. Um, a noodling dialogue about uh, mm. people's feelings and whether you'll ever fall in love truly and all of this. But they don't business. really intellectualize in the same way that Roma. We look at how to pronounce better some of the mm. most mispronounced words in the world, <laughs> like this other curious word. But how <laughs> do you say what you're looking for today? So true. You're looking at how to pronounce the name of this French actor. In French, they said as Jean Pierre. Leo. Oh. Jean-Pierre Leo. Leo. Jean-Pierre Leo in English. Jean-Pierre Leo. Jean-Pierre Leo. Here are more videos on how to pronounce more confusing words and names too many. Mis- okay, Leo. Okay. We are looking at how to pronounce the name of this French luxury fashion and perfume <laughs> brand <laughs> that was founded sure in 1952 in France by designer Hubert de Givenchy. Givenchy produces accessories, haute couture clothing, perfumes. Uh, how okay. do you think you pronounce the fashion brand that's spelled L O E W E? Like Lueve. I bet it's got. I bet it's a we bit different. We are looking right? at how to pronounce the name of Spanish luxury fashion house oh, specializing in leather goods, clothing, perfumes, out. and other fashion accessories and founded in 1846. How do you go about pronouncing this name? It's, it's not Lobo, but rather 
Lueve. Oh, yes. Lueve. British Lueve. Lueve. Um, I'm so glad I feel more informed now. The only thing um, you can't pronounce is English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny because it's like... Um, Tommy Hilfiger. Givenchy. Givenchy. Oh, they're so long. And then company manufacturing apparel, footwear, accessories, fragrances, <laughs> and to, home uh, furnishings. How you go about pronouncing the name of this brand? Tommy Hilfiger. <laughs> That's not right. Tommy Hilfiger. That's not even correct. How are you supposed to say that? Tommy Hilfiger. Tommy Hilfiger. Yeah, but okay. So basically, Jean-Pierre Lure plays. Um, yeah, he's he's kind of like this 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 almost this fetish actor for um, uh, Eustache. Oh, new wave crew, yeah. Yeah, so which is yeah, he he got past it. You know, he's passed around. It's just fusion cooking. It's a bit of it's a bit of Bresson. <laughs> mm. It's got this almost like it's got these beautiful fades. The things fade up from black, and actually, it's not do. interesting detail. It's mm. actually in camera fades with the aperture because you can see the sort of like depth stopping down. Oh, interesting. Very, very, and the bouquet sort of narrowing. It's very Griff- Griffithian in a way, using yeah. the collar to, um, to, to, to create an aperture on a, on a shot. Diegetic music only, which mm. really adds a fucking edge to the film. I mean, it's four hours, I think. Yeah, Mother and the Whore. Yeah, it's really, a really intense viewing experience. Yeah, it's quite, because the thing is, one, there's one thing that people say about... Um, which I, I read at one point and it clicked with uh, um, Eustache, which was people talking about his, his kind of cinematic style in terms of blocking composition, yeah. his camera work to be unobtrusive. Is what they yeah. used. I think that's true. There's sort of ob- careful pans here. Yeah, there. there's kind of an observational... Editing as well. Very mm. in, like He really does dialogue scenes with this amazing judicious editing where mm. you're just watching like one person listen for ages and like mm. the way he decides to cut back, it's just always... Yeah, it, it, um, it's subtle, but you know, you're watching a master at work. It's strange that he never really made anything else like that. Yeah, like he just get out, came out the blue. Like he did all the experiments, which he obviously learned a lot from, and some of them yeah. are more interesting in, than others. Like there's this film Alix's photo, which is kind of a bit like Forrest Frampton's nostalgia. It's just like a woman looking through photos and talking yeah. about it, and like a narrative is revealed somewhat through that. But she's like, just describing the content of the photos. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's Poletti and it's essayistic filmmaking yeah exactly you know, it's in that tradition although i don't know if like people talk about his shorts that much even no, i think so. like this season of the bfi was maybe the first time we're kind of getting familiar with that work but yeah there's what's interesting is that unlike people who make work they look like that he hasn't spent his whole life making loads of films like roma or mm. like uh godard like he hasn't been knocking them out like he just made this one really long one that has like enormous power to it and mm. see and must have been very influenced by the work that's been made around time and maybe i think so and it was like a little know. bit you know it, it there was it was stochastic in a way because you it was 73 it's after many of the leading lights of the new way had kind of abandoned this style of filmmaking and went moved mm. on to other things right you know by this point we're stepping into the political with Siegel group um, we're stepping into the fantastical with Jacques Rivette, you know, sort of uh, Julian Salingo boating. We're getting historical epics. We're getting the mm-hmm. era of Melville. You know, we're getting sort of s- spy thrillers and historical thrillers. Um, crime, you know, crime is taken to a different place. Mm. Um, he's like the last person doing this from the new wave. Mm. Um, he's a bit younger. He was part of Cahier in the 50s. Um, obviously, was making films in the 60s, but there's a weird sense in which this is why I was talking about mourning in a way, because he's talking about this post-68, post-sexual revolution generation. And the one feeling that kind of emanates through these films is kind of exhaustion. Um, everyone's very tired and kind of 
their backs are up and they're cynical about approaches and other people and they're a thorny, you know, sort of like, um, what's her bloody name? Uh, so that his new his new love interest in this film, uh, which is what's her name, fucking Veronica, is uh, François Lebrun's character. François Lebrun's character, you know, who's the girl he kind of chirps is at this cafe um, and kind of begins a tryst with. Um, she someone described her as sort of like already a bit like an old woman where she wears this shawl around her head. She's looks weary she's a little older who describes her like that I, I read it somewhere online isn't it um, but it's a great turn as an old woman in Vortex by yeah, Gaspar Noe yeah absolutely she's still going alongside Dario Argento Dario Argento but there's a sense in which everyone's a little bit tired and a little bit closed you know against the kind of openness and the free willingness of the new wave of Nouveau Vague and the, the openness of May 68 and the kind of infinite remixology of the situationist movement here are people who are a little bit cloistered and they're still lost, you know, sort of five years later. And it's impossible to resist, you know, um, any narrative about post, not post-revolutionary, but post sort of, like a, the structure of feeling that comes after a kind of failure, like a moment of revolutionary potential that's wasted, you know. The student protests of 2010, 11, or Corbyn in 2019, mm. it's quite difficult to, to escape these feelings of kind of, deflation and um, and loss and kind of uh, indeterminacy which is kind of what he does for this it's like 1973 and these characters are trying to do the new wave but they're just a little bit tired like they're mm. all tired they argue they bicker they bicker endlessly um, in this film um, they follow each other here and there uh, Leo's character is still kind of at the beginning of the film holding a flame to this girl um, oh, yeah. you know, uh, who's a student at the University of the Sorbonne. Uh, and he starts the film, begins the film borrowing, uh, borrowing a car of his uh, actual, his girlfriend. <laughs> um, and kind of going to the university and trying to like kind of doorstop her. And she's a bit like, uh, yeah, you know, moment's over, like trying to move on. And there's a, yeah, there's a big sense of things trying to move on. You mm. know, people are trying to get on with their lives, but there are a few fast holdouts like Lior's character who's still trying to kind of, him and his intellectual mate, um, uh, who kind of plays several roles in this film. Not several yeah, roles, sorry. He, guy. he has this kind of a glassy, very acerbic, kind of difficult mate. Wingman vibe. Wingman, yeah. And they just kind of sit together and they kind of pucker their brows and they kind of spit poison at people and they're very cynical it's a very pessimistic energy that floats over this film it is not you know breathless which is so energetic and jumps yeah, and takes guy, risks and hell, flows guy. yeah this kind of hippie guy so with this long lank hair he looks a bit like Eustache where's the subtitles at so we're just we're rolling the film moment people might wonder why we've um so we're not doing a video episode this uh, this time because both Ralph and I are a little bit sicky. Yeah, I've got a horrible spot on my face. Yeah, and I feel also, rough as shit. Also, listeners, do tell us what you think about the video hmm. term because it's a massive pain in the ass to <laughs> <laughs> and it does make good social media content, but you know, if it doesn't enhance your your experience with Return to Form. Yeah, I um, think it, ironically, I think we do the videos more when like when we're like saying more controversial stuff because mm. it's like funnier we're exposing ourselves yeah. to the, the bullets of the enemy but I think we've got to do some audio in the episodes as well 
uh, for the more sort of like serious tourist stuff. Yeah, um, but we're watching a, we're watching a scene now where him and his friend are sitting at the table, and yeah, like in a classic Eustachian way, Liu is talking, but with the camera is fixed on his mate. Who's this but is thing? this a classic Eustachian thing, or is it just a classic this film thing? I think it's no. Yeah, you're right. It's a classic mother and a horse. Because he develops <laughs> his own vernacular in each work, mm. and apart from the sort of the the, the subject matter, it's kind of hard to find a, a thread between the making and the formal aspects. Mm. You know, it's really a well, form. He, you know, he's a sort of so he's an ethnographer in a lot of ways, uh, Eustache, and I think <laughs> there's something. So is this an ethnography of the 60s? Yeah, I think so. I think he owes more to Jean Rouge than he does to Godard, for example. I think he's closer mm-hmm. to that, that bent of verité filmmaking. Um, you know, Chronique Dunette. Um, Chronique Dunette. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if a, a, a weed dealer in, um, in France has ever sold Chronique <laughs> Dunette. Um, I do wonder about that. Um, but you've got this... In Italy, they sell Chronique de the more than whatever <laughs> but um he so he owes he has this kind of ethnographic style and i think you see it in certain of his films where you'll be having a, a scene that is drama and then he'll cut to a tradition or people who feel very unprofessional you know so in mm-hmm. um my little loves there's a fantastic moment where this young boy is you know he's basically like an 11 year old boy everywhere like you, you know sort of becoming mm-hmm. vaguely sexually aware um, and so now he's desperate to shag basically yeah. so anything that moves regardless of age um, you know he's kind of interested in this scene can I tell you my two fa- sorry you can't. well I was, I was explaining scenes. So there's a scene where they're listening to a sort of village uh, countryside folky mm. rendition song sung by these young girls and he stands next to this, this girl who's about his age maybe a little bit younger mm. so the scene's kind of hinging on whether he kind of reaches out her hand and begins like caressing her leg yeah. it's quite strange it's quite a taboo crossing Mm. um, because she does seem younger than him in a way so he kind of becomes this kind of sexual they're both very young yeah both very young and this kind of sexual I don't know predator or whatever but like there's something quite unbalanced and weird about this Mm. this film in particular in a way that you know everyone in uh, the the mother and whore is a you know fundamentally a broken but consenting adult Mm. in a a very dysfunctional um, through a menage a trois um but in this film, his sexual energy is is quite dangerous. It's jagged. It's um, yeah. you know he's, there's a way in which he's this girl is far too young for him to be caressing her leg, um, and there's something very strange about it. But the way he shoots this kind of folk performance, it seems very like the girls kind of blush and look at the camera directly mm. when they're singing. The women and men in the crowd look just like villagers. Like it's like mm. he's just turned up to this actual village fate um, and filmed it. So it kind of you get this sense in which these films kind of push between the ethnographic and the documentarian and the dramatic and i think he that's that's the thing that feels characteristic between films um yeah. you know because you kind of get it even going back to these very early films so mr robinson's rooms we get uh footage shot in these kind of nightclubs um mm. you know these bars where people hang out and you get a lot again a lot of actors looking directly at the camera i think you know he's just turned up to places that are just doing their thing and he happens to be shooting a film in the context of these spaces. You know, there's not a really close sense of controlling who is an actor and um, controlling blocking beyond his his actual protagonists. And I think that's something that feels kind of Eustachian, this, this ethnographic impulse um, to document and account for real life. Um, yes, and maybe in that sense, his film about his childhood and his film about 
with the two main features, mm. Mother and the Whore and the Little Loves. Uh, one is a film essentially about intimacy, Mother and the Whore. Yeah. And another is about um, his childhood with tinges of intimacy as coming of age feelings, as you yeah. refer to. And yeah, there's like an interesting, surprising uh, conflict there because you're being ethnographic, but you're also dealing with the personal. And, and mm. that creates, if that's what's going on in The Mother and the Whore, and I don't. I wouldn't. Th- if it weren't for all the other films he made, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't accept the idea that Mother and the Whore was ethnographic. But it does. It it does manage to stand. You know, it doesn't have loads of. You know, uh, non-digesting music. It doesn't. It it sort of has a method that it follows. But then mm. you know, so does Bresson. You know, it's like so does Roma in a way. It does. It does just feel like. It almost feels like a film that he didn't even mean to make that good, but it mm. just sort of like coincidentally, he just sort of followed a line, uh, followed a process, and it it worked really well. Well, this and is working with Sir Janae said well. about following a, a subject, a material to the end of that material. You know, kind of pursuing it until it kind of collapses under its own weight. Yeah. Way, and I think there's a sense you know, the films kind of do. They don't end dramatically. They just end. You know, I think maybe Mother and Hall kind of has like a more conventional ending. In some, it doesn't though, because you get this scene where he goes back to his his um, paramours flat, which is this tiny little ho- yeah. garret in a in a hospital because she's a nurse. Um, and oh, he sort of c- collapses on the floor pretty much. Yeah. He just ends up sitting on the floor, and it's, it's not just it's a puppy. It's a puppy. It's not really an ending. He's sort of confronting, I suppose, the weight of his own desire and his in, uh, uh, insecurity about what his desire is. And a new um, responsibility emerging. Yeah, new responsibility because she's pregnant. Oh, wait. Oh, wait, wait. Um, That's the, the film French kind of for pregnant, is it? No, probably what not. What is the French for pregnant? Um, yeah. Coco van. Pardon le creuset. Je ne comprends pas. But... He, yeah, so there's a sense of the film. Enceinte. 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 A saint. What's the genealogy of that? I don't know. Oh, etymology, rather. Not genealogy. <laughs> well, the father and the mother. Um, <laughs> so true. Um, <laughs> but there's a sense, yeah, his films kind of. Saint means girded in English. Really girded. Sorry, with ingirded. Ingirded with child. Probably similar to. Pre- what does. So basically, so yeah, so there's a sense in which his films kind of end not on a moment of catharsis or catharsis or or a kind of obvious narrative beat. Um, My Little Loves kind of ends indeterminately. The character's gone away. This young boy has this kind of semi-idyllic upbringing in rural France with his grandmother and goes to the city with his kind of like newly present mother who lives in a little flat. And her uh, Portuguese, Spanish lover, um, mm-hmm. uh, he's a farm labourer, and they... Because you've got such a good memory of this film. I, yeah. see, I saw it like three months ago, and I'm basically having to scrub through it. I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to scrub for the audience's benefit. Uh, and he kind of encounters people who might become his friends, you know, as like a young boy. He spends a lot of time at this cafe, which is again a very Eustachian thing. Um, and they, there's a great scene where they're kind of uh, watching women, the people watching basically they have like whole conversations about like whether they've seen a dead body or not mm. like there's it's really a lesson in like in um 
how like dialogue doesn't have to like all the lessons you get told about mm. screenwriting about like making and I fight against this myself because I often like when I write stuff I, I always want every line to like be important or like inform or something mm. but it's really nice actually almost podcasty and um <laughs> <laughs> to kind of let nothing <laughs> to let your characters uh just chat chatter and you know the themes will be important but you really just let i mean roma does this as well like mm. i remember there's a scene in like love in the afternoon where one of roma's characters is like do you think if you could just die by switching a light switch you would just do it Mm. you know like these kinds of like existential well, roma, questions just kind of waiting emerge. for the characters to say something important through the unimportant babble we're waiting for them to hit no, on but some of the Roma I films i think the ones of like the uh moral tales is yeah, it? moral tales yeah Th- those ones are quite philosophically happy they are i mean claire's knee in particular is like his most philosophically God, engaged film. film yeah claire's knee is a lot no, i like about claire's knee but it's there's so much about it which is too it because it's such an early film for romer it um he learns to strip away the overt philosoph- uh, philosophical mm. digressions because they dominate the film. You know, we have a man who's a Pascalian who meets a man who is not, and he has to confront the limitations of his beliefs in, in God and, and faith. I thought that I didn't like... It's also surfaced. I thought that I didn't like Claire's Knee because when I watched it, I was like a bit woke or something because I thought I was just upset about this like randy middle-aged guy perving on a girl with <laughs> like, legs. Mm. But then... Obviously, I, I, I really like all this creepy Eustache stuff. Mm. And when I look back on Claire's knee, I've watched little clips of it. Mm. And it is just pretentious. He's just, he's just banging on about the, philosoph- the philosophy of like really fancying this girl. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, if you're going to be Randy, just get Randy. Like, well, later you know, he will it's learn. It's more creepy to sort of intellectualize yeah. it. Later, Romer would learn to allow characters to talk indirectly about their feelings yeah it's exactly. like here they're talking very directly um and i think but when roma characters do talk directly it's amazing like that amazing line in winter's tale where mm. she's like oh i i love you only enough to destroy your life you know mm. not enough to actually like yeah you know. i mean I, I don't know with, with you stash it's different because our characters are there's a lot of detritus conversational detritus or repetitions they talk about the same thing which might be girls or money um, they negotiate the, the 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 frontiers of their feelings for each other in a very unsure way. They make commitments and then break mm. them. You know, there's a great scene where um, Lure, they have a dinner party. Him and his girlfriend and his lover who are trying yeah. to have this uneasy three way. Trying to make it work. Trying to make it work. You guys open. <laughs> you guys open. Uh, then there is a moment where he storms off. Yeah, because he feels like he's been slighted and he's you know has a hissy fit. So easily offended, it's kind of beautiful. <laughs> so thin-skinned, it's amazing. <coughs> and he leaves, but then comes back again, and then they have then they can finally talk in a way. And we get mm. this amazing, you know, Veronique's character has this amazing uh, monologue, you know, sort of five or ten minute um, monologue that kind of explores finally her kind of feelings. Is this before emotions. or after like the insane like Benny Hill? F- threesome failure where he like it's, turns, after, it's after that he like turns yeah. to one of them and like starts trying to make out with them and then like so it doesn't really like she kind of rebuffs him and he goes and he turns around and goes the other and he's just like oh god guy can't catch a break 
Um, very funny. So I mean, very like it's very it's kind of light on its feet whilst mm. really. I mean, I guess I think earlier I described it as being quite intense, but mm. that does it a disservice because it has it's really light on its feet in its exploration and it it is kind of like this indirectness this uh, where you mm. by you get closer to this intensity mm. by chittering and chattering around it and it's sort know, of failing for a long time yeah there's a lot of pulses of failure like we it's 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 very high energy and low energy at the same time mm. um characters are putting a lot of energy into not doing anything yeah that's what we put um and i think you could kind of convey carry that logic back to sort of the dirty story as well you know these mm. two two recounted stories i mean they're very precisely told what's interesting about them is the ways these two stories kind of differ and they slip and they don't slip in really interesting ways but they slip a little bit in terms of the telling like a de- certain detail be pulled out differently and there's so there's something joyously raucous it's what made me think of bataille um and erotics of bataille maybe um you know, when we talk about erotics in France, we think about Barthes and Lover's Discourse, or we think about Bataille. Bataille's Unpack all this a bit. I feel like Lover's Discourse is more about longing. It's more about longing and the and subjects and objects of longing. But like, yeah, Bataille is very much the this this kind of, you know, the arch fantasist of mm-hmm. where being really basically insanely horny can take you creatively yeah. in a lot of ways if you want to strip it down to its parts. And I think... Which is something he liked to do. It's something he liked to do. Um, and there's something in the dirty story where you, you know, there's a real relishment in recounting these stories. You know, everyone in the room begins to participate. Um, you know, the women offer, you know, because most of his audience are women, and or Michael Lonsdale's audience and the other man's audience are women, and they. Some blokes as well. A couple of blokes, but the women kind of contribute more. You know, there's yeah, well, a Q and A session at the end of each. For the, for, not, for the fact that they're not recoiling in horror. Recoiling in horror, yeah, they, mm. they sort of become fascinating for that. And then they kind of, I think it's referred to like, oh, you know, usually people are disgusted with this. He me says, yeah, says women hate it when I bring up this story, but actually, here's a room for women who the women are like, attentive. oh, no, it's really fascinating. It's great. I love to hear about how you look at these yeah, women. Yeah, at one point, it's like, I think I'll do the same. And she's yeah. like, is this cafe still open? He's like, no, no, it's closed down. You can't. The great stuff about vaginas where he's like you know sometimes an absolute bombshell will have the most ugly disgusting vagina and sometimes <laughs> yeah. the most beautiful vagina will be belong you know, to the most plain woman or something yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's so true <laughs> <laughs> I will not comment in the space of this there. we're going to go on record um, but yeah there's a sense in which I mean it's so hard to talk about your stash because you know the, the thing he's doing there which is really precise dialogue yeah really really precise measured you know acting dialogue is not something he does elsewhere mm. there's a certain other things he does elsewhere which he doesn't repeat so you talked about these kind of fades and the fade comes to its apogee in uh my little loves where it's almost like a blinking eye it's very slow mm. and very lazy and the scene will kind of blink in and out not to cut to a new scene in space or time but will blink on a scene mm. And we'll just see that scene advanced a few seconds, maybe. Uh, here there's a point where the young man is watching a tryst between two lovers. Yeah. Sort of, you know, 18, 19, 20, whatever, in a sort of dark, semi, semi-shaded alleyway. He's just watching them have this encounter and then walk away. And we do get these cuts and then we get this blinking aperture and then we're still seeing these people and then they walk mm. away. And there's something very lazy and observant about it, uh, which is, again, this kind of ethnographic impulse to look and to interrogate looking, which I think is something that Eustache is really interested in. You know, what does it mean to look? And actually, if you think about it in a, in a purely symbolic way, the looking of dirty story 
through a hole looking up into a vagina which is what he's doing yeah. you know there's there's holes there's these kind of portals in his oh. films you know it's it's very is this a reach is it a reach I no but i think there's a real concern with like just apertures and looking sure, and observation sure, sure. and often the kind of um what it says about us to be looking i think that's kind of his his his, his concern um i mean i i find the story like I mean, I guess what's interesting is like with the dirty story is like the lack of a moral center quandary mm. or the, the something something morally morally questionable. I think objectively, no, there's no objective. Maybe there is. Who knows? Uh, not not a question that we concern ourselves with anyway. Um, but like, you know, generally speaking, mm. like staring at people while they're on the toilet without them knowing or consenting is mm. not on no, um, of course uh, and, and that qu- but like presumably not very pleasant either but you know but for, for the viewer <laughs> for the viewer I don't know well like you know that's a question that's what you're the, into question sorry. the person who don't mean to judge. decided to do that but um, yeah it's like that the film doesn't um, it's not you know the film doesn't sort of dwell on on the ethics of that you know where, where even no. but the ethics of that are like therefore like Prompt pronounced in the viewer's brain as a result of not have mm. not being not being, surfaced. not being not exactly exactly yeah but it's it, it's funny in that sense because the yeah we're waiting in the same way was the virgin the story of the you know you're mm. never like you're never told whether it's right or wrong no one questions whether it's right or wrong to do this bizarre like very like um patriarchal ceremony around a young woman yeah he's withholding judgment and so you have to maybe this is the same with the pig slaughter film or i haven't oh, seen yeah, so that. There's, a, there's a film in which uh which it again looks at a different kind of right in in in, in rural france which yeah. centers on the 50 minute films is in in a very graphic detail apparently about the slaughtering of a pig for a feast um and i think yeah so again he's looking an unbroken stare yeah. but with, i can't tell whether he's doing it because like I can't tell whether it's good because he's like choosing not to make it a moral question. I think or so. Whether I think he's it might be that simple. Whether, I think he's like, withholding judgment. But whether that's a choice or whether he's mm. just French and he just thinks it's mm. fine. No, because he goes further than a lot of his 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 colleagues, right? Like even in um these very early films, so like uh Santa Claus with the blue eyes and uh, Mr. Robinson's room. They talk about desire, longing, sex and their need for these things in a way that I haven't heard in other films from the same era or later, which is that yeah. they really say, do you want to fuck that woman? Yeah, uh, yeah I want to fuck that woman. I think I could fuck her. Do you think she's good in bed? They're really upfront about things that are kind of implied, you know, even for Goddard, who's a very sexy filmmaker in all ways, kind of like he's a bit too bourgeois in some ways to, yeah. to really say fuck, you know. Um, Belmondo's not going, you know, she's not saying, New York Herald Tribune, sorry, can I fuck you? Whereas in um, Eustache, characters are just saying that, you know, yeah. they, they, there's a great scene in Mr. Robinson's room where they, these two men kind of run into this woman, they chirps a bit and she wants to go to a dance. So they agree to accompany her and they're both kind of flirting with her and trying to yeah. get with this woman. Um, they go to this club, but they're both so paralyzed by what to really say to this woman that they can't really dance. With her. She's dancing with all these, all these other men at this club and they're getting more and more infuriated infuri- about their, their impotence. Um, and then she sits down for a bit and one of them's there and he has this quite, he's very forward and like mm. really pushes it with her. And she goes off and then his friend comes back and he's more titillated by recounting how forward he was and how mm. inappropriate he was with her 
And his friend's like, oh my God, you didn't say that, did you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's what I said. And he's, he's actually, interesting thing is, he's exaggerating a bit. Because mm. we've just seen this conversation happen. He kind of actually tells his friend what he kind of really wanted to say. It's right. quite, it was quite forward what he did say, but what he's actually saying to his friend is even more forward. So he's kind of playing up how okay. indifferent he is about you know, how forward and brusque he was and how sexually kind of open he was to this woman. We're getting to the core of it now. And there actually. is something there, right? About the recounting and I how think you it layer is the, that it recounting. is a sort of um what's the word for like storytelling? Well, in a sort of lit linguistic literary way, like the fabula, the the pure yeah, raw story sure. of something, the structure of the story. Yeah. And I think he's interested the in raconteurs, you know. Yeah, but it's it's writ <laughs> anyway, it's like <laughs> it's not writ at all actually. It's but it's about how people yeah, there is a storytelling thing there because I mean, a lot of mother and a whore is people talking. Exactly. What yeah. I mean is that like, it's the, titi it's the titillation, things. and you have it. One would hope that in the more sort of singular conceptual pieces, um, so like Alex's photos, right, where they're like yeah. talking about photos rather than like seeing. We're not looking at the photos. We're yeah. looking at people talking about. Well, photos, we are yeah. looking at the photos, but we're not yeah. looking at like what the photos show. Like the photo, like but the they become interesting through the through narrative. The exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and the same with like Mother and the Whore is about like how it's more exciting to talk to people about whether you're going to fall in love with them than it is to like actually, actually fall, fall in, in love, love with them. them. Mr. Mr. Robinson's place is a film about it's actually easier or more exciting and more, more kind of erotic in a way to talk about wanting to fuck people than yeah, actually yeah. fucking them. Cause neither of these guys fuck anyone in this film. Yeah. Um, in Santa Claus of the blue eyes, again, it's the fantasy of longing for somebody, um, than reality. Cause Leah does not fuck anyone in this film. He has a, has a fumbly, make out session with a woman who then kind of gets really repelled mm. by him and runs away um, um my little loves how do we apply it to this film i was i was coming around uh, to that. i think I because a lot of it's about because it it's his dawning budding sexuality i think a lot of it you know he there's he doesn't have any sexual experiences in the film but he does kiss a girl of his own age at, towards the end of the film in his, this in his grass for the way it like tracks towards them I'm just gonna in the country they're in the countryside yeah, yeah. basically and they're chatting to some 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 girls <coughs> excuse me it's no problem they go on this yeah oh this this like they're great teenage like makeouts crash teenage kiss mm. um, they're about the same age no you were saying there was a disparity it was just with a different that, I just it was earlier in the film this is when it's a bit more even and that's mm. his his yeah he kisses the way it girl. turns around here I think it's so beautiful can I also say mm. another great scene from My Little Loves where he's, which has actually got a voiceover where he's recounting it, um, where he's like in a church and he's like right behind a girl at church in church. Mm. Oh yeah. He's yeah, got yeah. a, he's got a hard on. Amazing. And he like, he like moves really close to her cause he's got the hard on. Yeah. And then she like turns around and doesn't like, isn't outraged, but it's just like, looks a bit confused, you know? Um, yeah. and I think like that's, yeah, and here as well, he's describing, okay, so the subtitles are on, let's pump it up a bit. Yeah, so he kisses. I mean, it's an amazing, beautiful shot. of. It's one of the best, like, shots of some people kissing mm -hmm. in the sense that, like, you really, f you, again, your your mind sort of imagines the kiss because you, mm -hmm. you they kind of just, like, attach onto each other, <laughs> like, sort of, like, mollusks or something. They, they've not really um, done this before. It's exactly. They're they kind of they've they've got received overdetermined idea of maybe what a kiss is. Exactly. And they're kind of just holding their mouths together almost in this, you know. And then the camera or but it's like almost like they're in a freeze frame. The leaves are moving more than they are in the mm. background. The the camera turns around 
Maybe this would be good for they're a social really media They're not really moving at all, are they? Their bodies are very still. The mouths aren't moving. Their heads aren't moving. Yeah, like you said, it's almost a freeze frame. And then I close my eyes to shut out the others. I wished I could close my ears. You can hear the leaves kind oh of God, rustling it's in the background. So yeah, it's about now the camera leaves them and pans away oh, and leaves them in great. this moment of I suspended longing. I didn't love longing. this film, but when yeah. this shot happened, I was like so excited with the church erection, mm. and then <laughs> it kind of just dissipated for me. I was like, I don't care about the French childhood and whatever. And then, uh, and then but they lay down in the grass in a shortly, so they then have a couple of hours yeah, where they yeah. talk, and he uh, surfaces the idea of having sex with her because it's something he knows about. But he's oh, far yeah. too young to have sex, and she's far too young to have sex. Um, she tells him no. Um, you know, that's correct in the situation, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, she tells him Here's no. the moral judgment happens the moral judgment podcast, on podcast. Not in the film. But, you know, there's, there's something wonderfully ambiguous about him confronting the idea of sex. And then he touches her leg. It feels like such a huge transgression. I mean, this is mm. so much stronger than Claire's knee. Then mm. she sort of takes agency, withdraws. Mm. I mean, this kind of very restrained Bressonian mm. uh, acting is perfect for... Um, for, for, this, for this like nascent romance that, yeah. that doesn't know it doesn't know how to express it's itself. like I think it doesn't know how to express itself but they're also contending with the idea they have of, of romance and on screen yeah. sex and kissing and, and fucking as it were because these are all things that you absorb through film and it's mm-hmm. and so on and they're contending with that and they're also contending with the real realness of their own natural feelings as it were mm-hmm. as they are unmediated by film um, yeah and literature and I think that's one of yeah so I think in all of his films he's he's grappling with the tell don't show tell don't show in a that's way that's the Ustash motto yeah somehow he gets away with it yeah and, you know, the, yeah like we said this you know this you know this this idea that the story of sex or love or desire is more compelling and powerful <sighs> than the reality which mm. is messy and difficult and crashes against the rocks of of incomprehension uh, between people you know because um, the great thing about Mother and Whore it's very rare for people to really communicate their feelings in that film we, people talk a lot but they don't talk necessarily about the right things in that moment yeah they usually talk about stuff that happened some other time mm. that anguished them in order to say I am anguished now you know um, yeah it's a wonderfully indirect <coughs> telling it's like telling all the time but not telling the thing that's there it is yeah it is a remarkable it's remarkable and quite rare to find i mean you get people like herzog i guess who work between medium media but um uh to find a practice that's so imaginative and like it wasn't like i mean maybe he just but he, do, he do, his short films are, or his documentary the, he just drifts between these different forms but he's like mm. yeah he doesn't mind he doesn't mind doesn't seem to mind like applying quite a different format for each each one but well, I kind of like that because it makes him uh, a bricoleur you know in a lot of ways like he's assembling and, and mm. kind of hashing these things together as he goes the the form matches the needs that he had but like yeah. we said there are threads that connect these films yeah. you know, about the We've telling of now. desire about ethnography about um, mourning this kind of post 68 mourning which I think is very present in his films um, because like you said he's the last guy holding the burning torch of the new wave 
Um, and he's mm. seeing what's left there. We kind of seen the ghosts of the new wave dance around a little bit. Um, yeah, he sort of turned up at the new wave like when everyone else went home because everyone else was yeah. like making films in their own style by that point. Like you had the new wave where he just does the sort of like he does like his own version of four inch blows with little arms. <laughs> and then, yeah, he does like his own version of like masculine feminine or like all, all those early Godard films about men and women, you know, um, uh, yeah, he sort of, he kind of turns up to the party late and like, and yeah, yeah he hangs around. He finds something a little bit like all the um, all the pop balloons and spilled yeah, drink. Yeah, exactly. Party. He's kind of there, and the lights are coming on, and he's he looking at the room sober, with, with a sober yeah. eye. Yeah, and I think that's what makes Eustache interesting mm. in a way. And I think mm. um, it it would be probably boring if he made ten films like Mother in the Hall. The fact that it's a singular and kind of strange um, like entity that exists independent of anything else really it really exists independently it's not really like anything else in the same mm. way that my little loves yeah it's a little bit like PLR it's a little bit like certain Chabrol films or Romain sometimes you know it's a little bit there's certain ways in which towards the end it's a little bit like you know it's collection or something in terms of that shot yeah. it's very golden basking loving um, well style uh, but can I t explain to you why that's the case oh, please same DOP Nestor Armandos is it okay that would make a lot of sense both those films yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Imagine, yeah. It does have that kind of rural idyll, this pastoral glimmer and sheen that um, uh, Clash has, um, which is maybe my favourite Romare film. But like we always say, Romare, the, the Romare film you like the most is the one you saw last. And yes, Clash was the last Romare film. Oh, so. really interesting. Um, but shout out, great film. How how are we doing? For time? Ingrid Cavan is also a great turn as the mother. Um, we're coming up to an hour. She's hideous, the mother, when we first see her. Yeah, you know, when yes. she first arrives in the house in this, in this film. Fassbender's wife, no? Yeah. But she's but really made up in her hair. Yeah, it's Fassbender's beard. Um, uh, Claire's knee, Fassbender's beard. So <laughs> when, um, when uh, she turns up in this house and she's been this kind of absent mother, yeah. and she's really dolled up. And there's something quite shocking about the intrusion yeah. of this very made up um, quite uncomfortable looking woman appearing in this house um, with the son who obviously doesn't really recognise her and is obviously much rather just hang out with Nan yeah. who doesn't really make any demands of him um, yeah I think I think there's something very very strange about uh, particularly about that film I think it's the one that mm. feels very uneasy about watching it um, because we're encountering something very a, a very real confrontation with desire and you know, youthful longing um, but across all that Eustache films all Eustache films have something about them that's just a bit weird yeah, I, I, I feel like also sh I mentioned earlier, but like Maurice Piella, mm. who we reviewed uh, on the pod two years ago now. Wow. We've been going for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, we did an overview of his work, and he's he his work. He, I mean, he feels very present physically. Mm. He is, does have a cameo in My Little Loves, um, Petit Amoureux, but um, yeah. But yeah, that feels that pastoral, kind of slightly <coughs> terse, mundane pastoral French film mm. kind of makes itself known. Which is which is a tradition um, that you know I think even people like Bruno Dumont have, have eventually kind of yeah. picked up maybe yeah, yeah, with, yeah. with his Normandy films. I think definitely uh, that's still the the lingering after echoes of that world is still there. Cause, also, know. interestingly, uh, uh, you know who really loves Jean Eustache? Mm, Ira Sachs, director really? of Passages. Both, I think, at least Petit Amoureuse and I think mm. also Mother on the Hall were in his 
top 10 for science sound and it's actually a very discursive nature to passages there's a lot of chat mm -hmm. about yeah, relationships yeah, and, yeah, and negotiating um and it also has a, a menage a trois which is a very oh, yeah. uh, very uh modern Hawaiian um formulation yes easily one of the best films from 2023 for me top 10 passages yes mm -hmm. We should maybe do our top tens of the year. That would be an extra. I was debating it this afternoon, but I felt we would be too sick to actually to commit pen to paper. But I think sometime oh, well, in the next maybe week or so. the I'll next do episode. It. We'll do before the end of the year, we'll do our end of year <laughs> list. Because we've actually seen a damn lot of films. There's loads of films this year. Because yeah. we did two festivals. A three, totally. Including Kino Techers. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Violent. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, we, so we've we've seen a lot of new films this yeah. year, and actually we we ate really well this year. Did we? We dined well, yeah, on film this year. I think. Oh, on film, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah not food actually. Ate really I well ate some year. good food, but I just didn't feel great. Relevant to mention. No, no, I had some. You're going to St John's this weekend, and you're going the week after. I'm going, yeah, two weeks after. Two weeks after. Um, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, to dine on the marrow, or not to dine on the marrow. Um, uh, slobber on the marrow of cinema <laughs> you know Peter Bradshaw he does these like mm. I'm Peter Bradshaw this is Peter Bradshaw's vlog and uh, I'd like to just say while the slippery slimy <laughs> cock of <laughs> criticism meets the the balls the turgid <laughs> saggy scrotum, the cold of, scrotum of discourse <laughs> is where I <laughs> and where you know he just like every every fucking video they I see he has a new like stupid twee like thing that he says they at love the start. to describe it's like i've got the thesaurus out and i found another way to say cold yeah, it's like yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. turgid well look you know we're, we're not so different in that respect yeah. we we love being a bit verbose now and again but um yeah, yeah there's something slightly disgusting about that about, um, peter bradshaw, wow. about peter bradshaw our friend peter bradshaw yeah friend um, fr 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 uh, friend of the pods pod, peter bradshaw <laughs> we, we've hung out with this year we had a great time um yeah, does he know our podcast exists? Well, no, we did tell him, didn't we? But he was pissed. We did. We did, we did tell him. <laughs> yeah, we we definitely when when we briefly ran into him at the Film Festival. We got a podcast. We got a He probably wasn't listening. Um, um, but um, you know, like unlike in many ways, a conversation <coughs> in a Eustache film. Yeah, we were talking across purposes. Yeah, and the most important, um, also like a Eustache film, the most important thing about our conversation with Peter Bradshaw mm. was not the conversation itself, but the fact that we. Then told lots of told people, people about it, yeah, about exactly. it, yeah, because it's not like us and Peter had anything really in common or anything mm. worth saying. It was all, I mean, he was just wrong, just the same way he's wrong in print, he's wrong in, in, in person. Commit to the, the bit <laughs> being wrong, just deeply but wrong. Right, that, that we've we've hit the nail on the head with um, we had you love telling people about it, and we got a selfie with all you guys got a selfie. You with got, we got me and George got a selfie with it. It's like, but the, there is something about the other the the telling, and it that's where it does kind of tessellate with Bart Roland Bart in a way because Bart says that really love happens in the head of the desirer. That's where the image of the beloved is constructed. Um, it's not a two-way street, you know. In in for Bart, it's a, it's a very much like a, a one one person echo chamber, um, in which we build up and kind of demolish the image of our beloved. And I think that's um, something which does speak <coughs> to you, Stash, in lots of ways because he is really interested in yeah, the sound and the idea of what his characters are incapable of actually obtaining in their lives, which might be quite easy for them to obtain if only they were a little bit more honest and a little bit more open and you know said the thing they needed to say in the right moment and that's what makes him very real because we never do very relatable to then you know 
He's he's the filmmaker that's in the shower thinking, oh my god, if only I said that. L'esprit d'escalier. Yeah. Well, but you film. stash if you want to. <laughs> uh, I would like to come back to my tweet about it. Actually, amazing that you stash was not had no facial hair. A very oh, really? a very hair sweet. He had long lank hair. hair sweet. He was, no, he wasn't hair sweet actually. He was hair, very hair sweet. Hair sweet is the opposite when you opposite. have loads of hair. He's got he's got lot. He had long lank hair, but no beard, no mustache. Comrade in arms for you. Uh, as a non-beard grower. As a non-beard grower. Well, I, you know, I, I've, I used to wear a moustache. Yes, no, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, but we're very aware of that. Not a beard. Um, um, yes. Yeah. I don't know what... So you, oh, you think he's like spiritually got he, facial hair? He's spiritually got a moustache or a beard, beard, I think. Yeah, spiritually bearded. Yeah. But um, I think there's... So I don't know what our next episode is going to be about. Um, I think our next episode will be the top 10 of the year. That's my... That's fun. My vibe. Yeah, that's fun. Literally loads of... Uh, we might film that one, actually. Because it's jokes. Mm. Just us talking about films we've all seen. Be great. But I have n- a lingering, glimmering memory of maybe at best. Perfect. That's, hey, I mean, you show, you proved yourself more equipped than I to recall details. And anyway, yeah. we just need to sink a bottle of wine and it will be very... It will come easily. That's, we yeah. did actually one of... I, I re-listened to a little bit of it the other day. Are sort of when we've done 50 episodes, oh, yeah, yeah, we did our favorite films. We so did far. our like, oh no, tw- we've only done 25 episodes. But we did our like, our pre- we, premature, we ordered our all the films we talked about. This is before we started doing like director specials, but yeah, we ordered, um, and yeah, you put Humanite by Dumont number I two. Still, what was your number one? I oh. don't know, I still hold to that. Luzanite is an f- extraordinary film, yeah. I was mm. wrong about that actually. I, I mm. pulled Cold Water on it at the time, but I now understand. Mm. The Dumont project. The and Dumont. I mean, I am excited for his oh, sci-fi new, project next new, year. Um, yes, the new it. sort of continuation of the Concon Petit Concon exactly uh, universe. Which Adele, 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 is Adele no, no, no. Adele Heinel quit Heinel. the set of it because she thought it was too misogynistic and racist. Uh, yeah, and she also wanted to give up on film itself. So the, the whole industry of film was yeah, too. Uh, but I think sure, it was probably sure. mainly targeted at Bruno Dumont. Um, Fair enough. Bruno Dumont made a shit actor quit. Good. Good. I don't know if she's shit, actually. She just seems really annoying. Anyway, whatever. Causing more drama than we need to. We are, yeah. Let's let's, uh, say au revoir. And get out of this Eustachian tube. Eustachian, all right. (laughs) The station you're waiting for (laughs) (laughs) is not open. (laughs) Doors will not open. Yeah.